For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile. And the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, Offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. You're listening to DraftKings Network. Golik and Smetty here. I need to stop doing this. I am so disrespectful. Welcome to another edition of Golik and Smetty. I am Mike Golik Sr. She is Jess Smetana. And this is a very a special broadcast for us. We're going to talk about the NCAA title games, both the men's and the women's. And right off the bat, Jess, right off the bat, we're going to talk to one of the great basketball players in UConn history and then the WNBA. She's in the Basketball Hall of Fame, the Women's Basketball Hall of Fame. But I know her best for paying off all kind of bets when UConn would beat Notre Dame when we were working together at ESPN Jessa, Rebecca Lobo uh, uh, had a had a fun call. I'm, I'm sure. Real quickly, your <laughs> thoughts on that on that game Sunday with Iowa and with uh, LSU? It was amazing. It, it was amazing. The play on the court um, exceeded, I think, everybody's expectations. You know, for both teams to finish the game shooting. Uh, at, a, at at least 50% from the field. For LSU, a team whom averaged five made threes per game on the season to make nine in the first half. It was a great exhibition of women's basketball um, because anybody who tuned in saw, wow, these women can can really, really play. They can shoot the ball. They can pass the ball. Um, and the crowds were unbelievable um, in the arena around around the city of Dallas. And, of course, our ratings were, were sky high. But... What always um, warms my heart is when we get a lot of eyeballs on the product and the product delivered, and it certainly did in the entire Final Four, but especially in that championship game. When Jasmine Carson came off the bench and hit those threes, have you ever seen anything like that in the first half of a national championship game before? No, for a couple of reasons. First, for a player um, to come in off the bench and be that productive. In particular, for Jasmine Carson to do it because she'd had multiple scoreless games in the tournament. This was a this was an LSU team that was not shooting the three ball well in the tournament. Um, and, and Jasmine Carson was a player who was not scoring much in the tournament. For her to come in in that moment and shoot like that, um, especially considering uh, how how her offensive numbers had been down a little bit, um, it was just incredible. She had, to put it into context, I believe she had 11 points total in the tournament leading into that game. And when she banked in that three at the end of the half, I mean, you got to be thinking, boy, it's your night. She had 22 points, 21 in the first half. Alexis Morris had 19 in the second half. We'll get to the the Angel Reese and Caitlin Clark stuff, but I, I do not want that to start this. What should the, it, the, what should start is this game because of what it meant, and unfortunately, some of the maybe the officiating in the game. But first, of the three of us, you're the only one who's also won a national championship in '95 with UConn. So let's go there first. For the 99% of people that that will have never won a national championship. Tell us what those LSU women were feeling when the clock hit zero. Well, what's interesting, Mike, is that 
the, the euphoria that you're feeling in the moment is one thing, and especially when you do it on a really close-knit team, because that's the beauty of sports. There's nothing like accomplishing something with a group of people who you've been through the trenches with, especially for me. It was my senior year. Most of the contributors on, on our team were upper upperclassmen. We'd been through it. We'd been through the failures. We'd been through the hard practices, and so to get to that moment and, and, and to share it with all of the people who had been through it with you is, is incredible. Now, when I look back, I also realize how it completely changed my life. And, and that was the thing going in for both of these teams. Neither LSU nor Iowa had ever played in a championship game. Therefore, neither of those programs or those schools had ever won a national championship in women's basketball. And so these women, you know, they're in the midst of it right now, but they don't, they don't understand yet, and nor can they for a lot of years, how this is going to change their life. Like forever, there's going to be five-year, 10-year, 15-year anniversaries of the first ever championship team from those schools. Things are just going to be different from here on out for those young women. And so now when I call games, like I, I know what it felt like in the moment, but I also have the, the perspective and wisdom that comes with age and understand the bigger picture too and how things um, will be completely different for these women um, down the road because of what they, they accomplished this past weekend in Dallas. So it seemed like throughout the season, LSU believed that LSU would be competing for a national championship, but maybe we didn't talk about them enough in the national media, especially when they played South Carolina midway through the season and lost by a fair margin. So yeah. would you say the media was surprised that they won, but and the fans maybe, but the LSU players were not surprised at all? I think it would depend on like the media, you know, um, it, we in women's basketball knew that they were a pretty good team, but we didn't know how good they were because they didn't play a great, great strength of schedule. Um, and Kim Mulkey will admit she made the schedule because you have to, whether it's a year or two in advance, she didn't know she was getting all the transfers that she got. She didn't know she was going to have a stacked team. So she made a roster or made a schedule that fit what she thought was going to be a young and inexperienced roster. So that's kind of where the questions came in is how good is this team? They haven't really played a ranked team. And then when they did at South Carolina, they didn't have one of their best performances. Um, so, I, so I think people thought they were decent, but didn't necessarily think they were in the national championship conversation. Um, but yeah, LSU, Kim Mulkey, number one, is never a person who shies away from anything. And it never is a, has been a woman who, um, who lacks in confidence. And I think that's one of the reasons certain players are drawn to play for her. And, and Angel Reese certainly is one of those. Alexis Morris is another. Flaje Johnson, the, the freshman. Um, these are, are young women who need a, a certain kind of swagger from their coach. And, uh, and that team, at least, even after they lost to South Carolina, it didn't feel like they wavered in any way in terms of their belief in themselves. Uh, the Alexis Moore story is incredible. Played with Kim at Baylor, got kicked off the team as a freshman. I think it was Rutgers and then a Texas A&M yep. before Kim brought her back to LSU. Alexis was fantastic on the set after talking about when she was asked, what would you tell young women? I thought it was a phenomenal answer. And, and Kim Mulkey now with, with her fourth title. So in this game, though, Rebecca, well, I thought the officiating was horrible. You guys, you and Ryan Rucco did a great job calling it. And you never want it to take away from the game. But also, so let, let, let's forget what we thought as we were th watching. And now you're a player. It doesn't matter if they're calling it bad or not. You have to deal with it. So you now have to, how much do you have to adjust your game to how the officials are calling this game? 
Completely, completely, especially when you're a post player. So just by the nature of a post, um, there's going to be contact in your position. And especially for Angel Reese, who got her second foul uh, in the first half of that game. Um, and she's such a, a prolific offensive rebounder. And that takes getting to the glass, and there's going to be contact. And that's why Kim Mulkey had to take her out. She could not risk having her post player in there to pick up a third. It was slightly different with Caitlin Clark because uh, uh, the nature of her point guard position doesn't um, necessitate as much contact where you can put it in the hands of the officials. But what it did do is it made her less of um, a, a threat off of dribble penetration. You know, what the thing that makes her, many things make her really good, one of them being the deep bomb threes. And then when you get up on her, her ability to penetrate by and find teammates are finished. Well, you have to be really careful if you're driving into the lane. So that changed things a little bit. Um, the last thing that we want to do when we're calling a big sporting event that has a lot of eyeballs on it, that's incredible um, play on the floor, is talk about the officiating. We do everything we can to avoid talking about the officiating. And in that game, we couldn't avoid it um, because of some of the calls that were being made. That being said, LSU went out and took that basketball game. I don't think that uh, any other officiating would have in any way impacted the outcome of that game. LSU went out and made nine threes in the first half and took that basketball game. What was frustrating was this is our biggest showcase and our biggest stars in this moment are in foul trouble and either on the bench or not allowed to play the way they would typically play. And, and, and that was unfortunate. You already talked about the entire Final Four weekend being really fun and exciting. What were some of the things that you experienced while in Dallas this weekend that you loved, things that were different from last year, just like the overall experience? What was it like? One of the coolest things that they did, and I think it's the first time they've ever done it, it's at least the first time that I've ever seen it, was um, the, the teams got dropped off in front of the arena and they had a red carpet that went from where, where the teams got dropped off into the arena. And fans could just line both sides of it. And, and that's where our pregame studio set was. And I don't know how many, a couple thousand fans easily for each team. So LSU got out first and this, this red carpet is just lined with all the fans. There's these little kids who are reaching out or getting high fives from the players and the coaches. And so the players and, and, and the teams are just experiencing the, this appreciation from their fan base as they walk in and the fans are getting to actually touch the players before, you know, one of the biggest moments of their lives. It was, it was really cool. The energy in Dallas, um, I think, was reflected in the rating, uh, um, you know, across the country of people watching. There was a different level of excitement and juice um, that we felt like, wow, this is a really big, really big deal. A game that people are really interested in with stars that are ready to shine. And that moment, you could you could feel it. And, um, and, and that's one of the things that I'll, I'll remember vividly um, when I look back on this Final Four. Record... Uh, uh, um... As far as television, about 10 million people watch this game. That's a record uh, for this game. Women's basketball, women's sports has really jumped a lot, Rebecca, with eyeballs on them more. Why, before we get to the, the Angel Reese, Caitlin Clark thing at the end, what, why, what is making this jump now in women's sports? I think it's a couple of things. I think, one, the play on the court is the best we've ever seen. Uh, you know, it's 26 years since the WNBA started. All of these kids who played in the Final Four um, since the time that they could watch TV have been watching women's basketball played at the highest level, know what that looks like, um, and have worked hard towards it. So we've, it's never been better. 
whether it's at the WNBA or in college women's basketball, the, the play on the court has never been better. And I think just we're slowly, uh, people are slowly starting to, to uh, pay attention to that. And, you know, when you t- tune into a game and there's a player like Caitlin Clark in the regular season um, hitting logo bomb threes, you're like, okay, I want to watch more of this. If you tune in and see um, Angel Reese and the excitement and energy she brings to the floor in a regular season game for LSU, I want to watch more of this. Um, yeah, so Olivia Miles, and hopefully she gets back for your, for your fighting Irish, one, one of the most exciting Fingers players crossed. in the game. You know, there's just a lot of really good, talented and exciting women who are playing. And um, I think finally people are giving the attention it deserves. And time after time after time, the product is not disappointing. Um, you know, we, we've seen that in the WNBA as well. The, the WNBA finals this past year, some of the things that were going on, uh, the, the way um, the, the Vegas Aces were playing, like it just captures basketball fans' attention, uh, you know, just sports fans' attention. I, I just think, I think the sport is ready, the moment is ready, and, um, and fans are finally in a bigger way ready to appreciate it all. So now, you know, the, the, the part that unfortunately took the headline mm-hmm. uh, was the Angel Reese. And, and to show you my age, I was just doing our Sorry in Advance podcast with our family. And this whole hand thing is you can't see me. I'm, I'm like, what does you can't see me have to do with what the hell is going on with the court? And it was my son, Mike, who's saying, Basically, it means you can't guard me. I'm like, okay, someone okay. say you can't. I, I, I mean, can I interrupt you for a second, yes. second Mike? Yes. So, so we're calling the um, the regional championship. I'm out in Seattle, and it is Iowa playing Louisville. And it's the first time Caitlin does this. Right, and we're good right. how it is. We roll out to a break with this. And I right. say on air, I don't know what that means. <laughs> I had no idea what it meant. I didn't. And so then people are tweeting at me, you know, oh, it means, you know, John Cena, you can't see me. And I said, I still don't understand right, what that me means too. what it has to do with basketball. So anyway, you and I are together. Yeah. And then I Mike love was, the layers of confusion happening oh, from it, like, I don't even know what this is. And then other people being like, I don't know what this is either, but I'm mad. Like, yeah, but I, I'm mad she did it, you know, and, and so... I guess just your whole, my quick thought is you either like that stuff, hate that stuff, or you're indifferent. Would would I want my kids to do that? Probably not, but I am certainly not going to make that the lead story at all. I'm overseeing youth, so I mean, it doesn't matter enough to me. You, Rebecca, have kids who you are coaching and who are playing, so you are, when you see something, I, I guess first, how, what did you think about the whole brouhaha? And then how would you approach that with your kids and coaching them? Well, it wasn't a brouhaha in the moment. Like, no. you know, we, we we called the game. We showed that replay. And that was that. We, we knew what she was doing because, um, you know, we had called the game where Caitlin had done it. So there wasn't a brouhaha within the women's basketball world, you know, until it, it got into social media. So, like celebrating yourself is not my cup of tea. It's not what I did when I was a player. It's not what I encourage my kids to do. Um, but I don't have a problem certainly with, with anybody doing it. And I, I would, and I never ever would assign anything towards the person because of what they did on the court. And, and we, we, and when we're at the final four, I get to meet with these teams, I get to meet with these players. And Angel Reese is a delight. And she's a smart, thoughtful person. When you're sitting in the meetings talking basketball and, 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 and her willingness to include her team and talk about her team in an incredibly generous way. So the frustrating thing is when people then assign whatever they are going to assign to a um, 
to an athlete and a person because of some sort of celebration that they've done. Yeah, Rebecca, I, this is like an existential question that I've talked to with my other podcast co-host Kate Fagan about too, with so many eyeballs on this game. It almost attracts like the worst aspects of sports media coverage from that we see a lot on like the men's side to the women's side to have these like incendiary reactionary like things where they don't know the player they don't know her story they don't know that she's Mm -hmm. felt snubbed by not being on awards list earlier this season they don't know caitlin clark has been doing this celebration before and that she's been you know showing up three point signal every time she hits a three that like this is her style of play too and so it's like i I wonder if there's almost like it was so popular that it was almost unavoidable that something really stupid, given the the media landscape and social media and everything like this would happen. Um, I wonder if you have any thoughts at all about that. Well, it's sometimes people outside of the sport tried like to hijack the conversation a little bit. And this and Mike will remember this, you know, for a number of years when when UConn was winning um, championships the first round of the tournament would come. They were in one seed, and they would destroy the 16 seed. In the conversation, we'd come in on, on you know, the second day of the tournament, and the pervasive conversation is UConn bad for women's basketball. And I would get so frustrated because then we would have, you know, these pregame shows or whatever in studio, and instead of me breaking down this player or that player, I then have to answer the stupid narrative is UConn bad for women's basketball. And so I think that's what happened here a little bit too. And, and, and part of it is great. You know, like if, if we get Iowa playing against LSU next year, that would be amazing. This will have led to, to more interest in the game. Um, and, and, and whether you like the celebration or don't like the celebration or how it happened, um, the personal nature of it is what is most offensive. And so if you're going to parachute into the sport and comment on how the women play or comment on the celebrations, whatever, that's fine. But the personal attacks um, are, you know, are the part that's troublesome and are the part that, um, you know, you, you, you would almost rather. All right. You can you can stay outside. We don't need you as a fan if this is what you're going to going to bring to the table, because, yes, everybody who is at least partially aware of the sport knew exactly what that interaction was all about, whether you liked it or didn't like it. And I think one of the things that also was getting lost here is the player who it didn't bother was Caitlin yes. Clark. Yes. Caitlin Clark said it, she didn't even see it. She was headed to her 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 handshake line. She didn't care. So, you know, for the, all the people that are offended on behalf of Caitlin Clark, Caitlin Clark didn't care. So um, you can choose to, when you're playing pickup to celebrate how you want. You can choose to have your kids celebrate how they want. But don't go attack a 20-year-old woman um, in a personal way because you don't like um, the way she celebrated it in one of the biggest moments of her life. Uh, right. 100% agree. That, that, those people that do the personal attacks, I guess I just consider the source on some of them because it, it's, it's, <laughs> it's, it's absolutely ridiculous. Right. Uh, and, Rebecca, the, and the yeah. people that tend to say like, oh, is UConn bad for women's sports oh. are always, of course, they're the people that care the most about like gender equity and, and all right. of the things that, you know, <laughs> all of the things right. that go into that well, that's what's anyways. fueling their commentary right, right. is their deep concern for yes. women's sports yeah, yes, yeah. Exactly. And, and also the team they root for can't beat UConn you know the best way to stop UConn <laughs> is to beat UConn you know and and nobody could do it for a while so for and a I time, and, yeah. and as a Notre Dame grad I had to live through that for years and years so I feel good about I know we should have made a bet this no, year no we shouldn't have no we shouldn't no, have you guys beat us. You guys beat UConn oh, this year. Oh, in the regular, in the regular season, season. You're right. You're right. I, yes. And every time I, I get ballsy and make a bet, I'm painting. You're painting my face. 
you know, UConn color. So Notre Dame's gonna be really good next year as long as Olivia's healthy, man. Watch out for them. I hope I hope so. But UConn also is gonna be really good next year. So I don't maybe they'll both be in the final four. We can do a bet. All right, Jessica, always great to have Rebecca on. I, I mean, I I know the position that they were in and calling the game, you know, as being in the booth for a lot of years. You never really want to make it about what the refs are doing. Mm-hmm. You always want to keep it about the game, and this was such a highly visible game. But they had to step in a few times. That was my biggest take. Not the stuff at the end. I Really, I could not care at all about that. But it was the fact that LSU was shooting so well. But, man, to have Angel Reese on the, on the, uh, the bench for the whole second quarter, to have your two yeah. top stars on Iowa, obviously including Caitlin Clark, on the bench with three fouls a lot as well. And just, I know there were 37 foul calls. Now, there were 19 for one team and 18 for the other team, 21 free throws for one team, 20 for the other. So that part of it split evenly. But just to have stars on the bench in the quick whistles, I, I think that was that was a real kind of a tough mark for this I mean, there game. was even a little bit of that in the Iowa-South Carolina Final Four matchup too. I mean, really, I, I'm someone who also hates complaining about the refs because it's not like a thing that you can do anything about yep. as a fan and it doesn't change outcomes, so it's a little fruitless. But yeah, there's some really bad officiating in, in all college athletics. And unfortunately, when it happens in a big game like that, it makes you feel a little little disappointed and a little unsatisfied. But I mean, that aside, it was such a fun game. It was so exciting to watch that for me, it didn't really overshadow anything. It it certainly didn't like make it feel less fun to watch LSU celebrate afterwards. So I don't know. It was like it was a great final four. So I I enjoyed all of it. I, I agree. I agree. Just to see South Carolina knocked off after what the last two years, 40 straight wins going back to the tournament. And then that final where I was just hoping Iowa would, and I had no horse in the race. I just wanted to see a good game, but LSU started pulling away kind of like UConn started pulling away from San Diego state. It was, you just, but you, it was. You want to it, see a good it game. Was, the difference, though, was that in the UConn San Diego State game, there was not a lot of good shooting happening. Like, it was a no. more boring game, in my opinion. LSU was just absolutely firing up darts. What what Jasmine Carson was doing in the first half, and again finishing off with the banker yeah. uh, three, was just was was unbelievable. So that was awesome. It was great to talk to Rebecca Lobo. We're going to talk to former Penn State men's basketball coach who got his team to the second round where they lost to Texas in this tournament. And now new Notre Dame head coach, Micah Shrewsbury, is going to join us. Every fan knows the right player in the right position can be a game changer. Put LifeLock between your identity and identity thieves to monitor and alert you to threats you could miss. Plus, with a U.S.-based restoration specialist on your team, you won't have to face drained accounts, fraudulent loans, or other losses from identity theft alone. All backed by the LifeLock Million Dollar Protection Package. Change the game on identity theft. Save up to 25% your first year at LifeLock.com aware. Uh, here in a bit, but let's do a quick note here on the Masters, Jess. That is starting this week. Uh, we're taping this before Wednesday in the par three contest, and then obviously the tournament, uh, you know, right right, right out of the gate here. It's, it's Scotty Scheffler is at plus 700, Rory McIlroy plus 700. They're the two favorites for DraftKings Sportsbook right now. Then you have John Rahm at plus 900, Jordan Spieth at plus 1,600. Uh, Tiger Woods is with 13 other players at plus 6,500. And again, 
Now, Tiger did pull this off a few years ago, which was miraculous. So I think you'll always wonder how well he's going to do, but I don't think he's going to win this. But obviously, it's huge for the Masters if he makes it to Saturday and Sunday, though a lot of time the Masters don't need uh, that boost. But you always love a boost from Tiger Woods. It just, it just seems like the Scotty Schefflers and Rory McIlroys are just, are just playing so well right now. I know now. I'm going to take the best nap of my life listening to that broadcast on Saturday and Sunday, Mike. I'm ah. already looking forward to him, trying to think of what I'm going to eat before it. It's going to be great. I, I love watching that they had the women's amateur yeah. uh, going on as well. I, I was watching that. Then they have the kids doing the um, driving, chitting, chitting, <laughs> chitting dri- <laughs> driving, chipping, and putting. I hope you leave that in. Driving, uh, shitting, putting yeah, competition. Yeah, oh, yeah we, we might as well leave it in. Why not? <laughs> but but uh, uh, um, drive, chip, and putting. I do like watching all yeah. of that. All right, Mike, now we need to welcome on the newest member of the Notre Dame family, the new head men's basketball coach, Micah Shrewsbury. Thank you for joining us. Oh, thank you guys for having me. So b- before we get to the, to the Notre Dame job, you were, you were coaching Penn State last year. You got to the second round. You beat A&M, and then you lose to Texas. Talk about that experience from the players' side of it, you know, getting into the tournament, and then what you thought going to the end with UConn taking out San Diego State. Yeah, it, for us, it was, you know, I was there two years and it was quite a climb to, that's what we were hoping for, to have a chance to play in the NCAA tournament. We had some really good um, guys that we had brought together that really fit our, our system. And we had a, a little bumpy road to get there, but uh, we found our way at the end of the season. Um Played great in the Big Ten tournament. Had a, a really, really precise game for us against Texas A&M where we played great. And then, you know, fell to a Texas team who I thought was one of the better teams in the country. Um, the the One of the guys, Disu, if he doesn't get injured, um, I think, you know, they have a chance to make a Final Four. But, you know, they lost to a really good Miami team. So, you know, the tournament is is – it's always full of surprises. It's always a matter of who gets hot, who's playing well. And that's what you saw uh, from all of those teams, Miami, Florida Atlantic, San Diego State, and then obviously UConn was playing at a, at a really high level. And, uh, you know, they deserved to win the national championship. So we want to ask you the important questions first. So M- Coach uh, Marcus Freeman has been on the podcast before. He has a – candy dish in his office with a lot of different types of candy he has chocolates he has starbursts will you have any such thing in your office at Notre Dame I you know what I probably will uh but it'll be just for me it won't be for anybody that's coming in Ah. (laughs) sorry players you guys can uh you guys gonna have to bring your own snacks in here but uh Marcus Freeman is super fit that that's you know probably why he has candy dish for everybody else. Uh, I'll have my own candy dish. <laughs> so so what 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 would be the go to candy? I'm I'm a Reese's Pieces guy. Um, peanut M and M's. There's actually in our little kitchen over here. There's some Starburst jelly beans, which oh they're the best. They are the best. Very addictive. Yeah, the problem with them is when you get Reese's Pieces or the peanut butter M&M's or, like you said, the, those, those uh, um, Starbursts, 
is you can eat so many of them. It's like potato chips. You just you just keep slamming them, and then you're like, oh man, I ate way too much. Yeah, no, that that's definitely something you got to worry about. You got to think about. You know, then you're looking. It's like, all right, I got to refill this bowl because I ate every single piece of you know whatever <laughs> it is that was in here. <laughs> so it's always interesting in looking at the the where a coach has been in his career and if you're wikipedia any coach you see a number of stops along the way and it's interesting your the other head coaching job you had was iu south bend yeah. right right south bend where, where notre dame is so what what was from that experience to where you are now and what led you back what led you to notre dame yeah it i talked about it in my press conference um we lived right around the corner from campus, you know, my wife and I. Um, so, you know, I used to make the drive every day down Ironwood and, and ride by campus and I could see it. And, you know, I'd drive by or pop around and just, you know, kind of dream of what would happen or what this would be like. And I was 30 years old at the time. So, you know, I, I, I figured I had a lot of time left in my coaching career, hopefully to one day do this but you know as long as you kind of keep your head down you keep working towards your goals um, good things happen so you know I, I I had an unbelievable experience here in those two years uh, but you know I, I took I ended up leaving because Brad Stevens got the job at Butler at the time as the head coach and I went and joined his staff and everything kind of took off from there um, we went to the tournament two years in a row and then the last two years we went to the national championship game and uh, you know, it, it kind of stinks that as a bad reminder that last night during the game, they're talking about the uh, lowest scoring halves uh, yeah. <laughs> in final four history. You just look up there and you see Butler and it's like, ah, it was, <laughs> you know, it was great that we got there and those guys, we have great memories, but you know, we didn't play our best in that moment, but it was, it was a part of life that helped propel me, uh, you know, so I could get an opportunity like this. I went from Butler to Purdue and worked with Coach Painter for a couple of years. And I went with Brad to the Boston Celtics, which was uh, great for my career in, in learning. Um, and then back to Purdue for a couple of years of, I guess, almost finishing school uh, with Coach Painter again before I got the opportunity at Penn State. So there's been a lot that's happened since I was here last, I've, I've grown a lot as a coach. My family's grown. <laughs> we've added a lot more children since we've, <laughs> since we've been here. But uh, this is definitely a full circle moment to be here. So you went from college to uh, assistant at the pro level back to college. Kind of similar to Neil Ivey, who was an assistant with the Grizzlies before becoming the head coach for the Notre Dame women's team. So I interviewed her a few years back, and she said the biggest difference from co from pro to college is – Pro basketball is all ball. You don't have to worry about schoolwork. You don't have to worry about like extracurricular stuff that students have to do. So what are some of the, the things that have been the biggest difference for you going from the Celtics back to the college level? And how do you apply things you learned in the NBA back to like coaching your students, uh, student athletes? Yeah, I, you know, I, I think what helped me was I was college coach before. Uh, so I didn't have much of an adjustment going there and then coming back. Right. Like, the time constraints are obviously a little bit different, you know, on a college campus when the guys that you have to work with, you know, they have class throughout the day. They, they have studying, homework, 
tests, whatever, uh, once they finish practice. So you have to balance their time way better as a coach and, and understand that, you know, basketball is really important, but, you know, they also have, you know, a really tough course load to, to work on here. You know, they have social life that they're trying to manage as well. So uh, understanding that and getting that in order uh, is really important. And then, you know, since I've come back, there's a lot of things that are different with the transfer portal, with NIL, with uh, college basketball has really changed in the last few years. So just being able to adapt, I think the NBA is, has allowed uh, or helped me adapt, right? Like you, you never know what's going to happen in those teams in that program, right? There, there could be somebody on your team. My first year in Boston, we, we were trading guys that shoot around. <laughs> so, you know, a guy'd be there. And we're like, Hey, we're going, who's going to guard Kevin Durant. And it's like, well, we just traded him. So <laughs> you guys change your game plan between shoot around in the game and good luck tonight. So you got to think on your feet, you got to adjust on the fly. And uh, I think that's helped with all the changes here in, in uh, college basketball that's happening now. You mentioned uh, a couple of years at Penn state and now you're at Notre Dame. How was, how long did it take the sell job from the AD Jack Swarbrick until you, uh, you, you agreed to this? Yeah, I, I got a chance to, to meet with Jack and, and Father John and my wife and I both. And when you, get, when you just talk to them and you feel how genuine they are and you feel the passion uh, that they have for, for Notre Dame, uh, that's something special. It's something special. And, and obviously being an Indiana kid, I've always known about Notre Dame. I've had classmates that have gone here. And, you know, I grew up a huge Notre Dame football fan. So I knew all about the place. Uh, but the opportunity to come here and lead this was uh, there wasn't a lot of arm twisting that had to happen. Um, you know, I, I've, I felt so uh, – I almost had to pinch myself when they said, you know, we want you to be the next head coach here. Uh, because it is, it, it really is a dream come true. And, and I know you could probably pull up any coach's um, press conference or interview or whatever, and everybody says it's a dream come true. But I'm an Indiana kid, and there's three major programs in this state, and uh, I'm getting a chance to lead one of them. It doesn't get any better than that. Is there another basketball program in the country that you think Notre Dame obviously has some things that they do differently than other schools when it comes to transferring and academics and everything like that? So is there is there another basketball program that you think you kind of look to as the model for Notre Dame basketball? Um, you know what? That's that's interesting. I think um, who we are and what we're going to be, um, you could look maybe in league and, and this may be like, there's some differences with everything, but like maybe in league, maybe it's a school like Virginia or a program like Virginia, like, you know, they're, they're a value based program um, and who they bring in. I'm sure they have academic challenges as well. And, um, but kind of in the ACC, as I look around it, um, that could be a, a team or a program that you, kind of model now you know we're obviously play different ways we play different styles but I think as a value-based organization and what coach Bennett has been able to do there um, I can see some similarities from school to school 
It's also interesting, you know, when you talk about a football program, a, a basketball program, what's, what's it more at a certain school? I think we all have to realize Notre Dame is a fencing school with 12 national 100%. championships. So yes. they, uh, that's, it's, that's, that's the sport there right now. That's what you have to try, try and overtake. I'm, I'm wondering and if you've moved into it yet. Mike Bray has been there for, I think, 52 years. Um, <laughs> did he leave anything behind in his office that you found that you had to return to him? I have not. I think they did a really good job of, <laughs> of grabbing everything uh, that he had. But I'm sure there's something somewhere that I'll find one day that he's probably tucked away somewhere. Like, hey, coach, I knew you would get to this at some point in time. And some kind of note there. He, I've had a chance to talk to coach and, and uh, you know, he's the best. He's great. Um, what he's done here. Um, the success that he's had, um, how he's built it, his relationship with his guys. Um, you know, he's leaving a great legacy for me to follow in. Uh, but he's also leaving a great blueprint of how you can do it here, how you can have success here. So um, I'm going to definitely pick his brain and figure out some things and, and see if he can help me. But, yeah, maybe in February there's going to be some note under the couch <laughs> that he's left for me like a like uh some kind of omen <laughs> so you've lived in south bend before so you're familiar but it's been a while do you have like a favorite restaurant you're excited to go back to or favorite part of town that you're you know feel like you're you've been missing well um here's the crazy thing and i'm i'm as basic as possible like i my personality is when i when I find what I like, like I'll go to the same restaurant every day and just order the same thing. Um, but like I get really excited about the simple things in life. So um, I went to the final four this past weekend and I got back and, you know, it was a little bit later when I landed and I was going to grab some food as I was heading back to the hotel. And um, I just got really excited to see Steak and Shake. Like, <laughs> that's a great answer. I pulled right into the, I pulled right into the drive-through, and I was like, "Yeah, I'm gonna get this Frisco melt, and I'm gonna get myself a milkshake." <laughs> what Those kind of milkshake? Uh, chocolate, just simple chocolate. Just plain yeah. chocolate. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Wow. Yeah, but those are the little things that I miss. There's no like anything special or, or things like that. It's something like that. Now I will. Uh, you know, I, I did as I'm pe driving through different areas. Like I saw Barnaby's the other day and I was like, oh, yeah, Barnaby's. <laughs> like, you know, I'm still remembering some things. Uh, yeah. Come back. The one thing I was a little disappointed and I don't even know if it was good. I just remember going there a few times was Between the Buns is now closed. So I what? it's just a different name. No, it's a di it's a different name. What right? is yeah. it called? It, yeah. Yeah, I, I forgot. I should know. Mike. My place is right right next to it. But yeah. it, it, it's still there. It's just called something else. But I used to go there all the time. I'm with you. One thing I'd like to share with you, Coach, at some point we could do a backer burger and a beer over at the linebacker. I can't believe it took Mike Bray 22 years was, to get to that, that place. That was I mean, crazy. That's yeah. Absolutely. And it was nuts when he was there. <laughs> uh, let's ending, ending, at least from my side, on this, whenever I would call a game and talk to a coach, especially if it's a coach I hadn't, hadn't done a game with before I always like to ask them and I'm sure you've answered this a hundred times what's 
What's your philosophy of a team? What What are we going to get out of your teams? Yeah, I, I am. Um, there are like, you know, I've, I've, I guess, developed this reputation here in the last two years as an offensive coach. Um, but at my heart and at my core, I'm a defensive guy. Like I'm a stickler for rules on that side and how we're going to guard and what we're going to do and. You know, our teams have played with incredible toughness and grit and fight. Um, that's going to be a staple. That's going to be a staple of who we are, um, you know, and, and how we play. Because I think it gives you a chance to win every single night. You know, when whether the ball's going in or not, if you're guarding people, that's going to give you a chance. Offensively, it, it's tailored more around, um, more around your guys, like who you have, like – you know, I'm I'm being like it. Being in the NBA has given me a chance to. There's not a system that I'm like stuck in, right? I, I can be flexible and build something around our best players. So uh, we play a, a five out style. We we move the ball like we share the ball. We'll shoot a bunch of threes. Be a low turnover team. We were for the longest time this year. We were number one in the country in fewest turnovers. Um, and I think Notre Dame ended up taking us, taking it over uh, late in the year and passing us. Uh, but, you know, playing very, very fundamental basketball, having high IQ guys that can read the game, think the game. We play an NBA kind of system um, where we, you know, we'll hunt some matchups. Like we play a lot of movement where we're cutting, we're playing off pick and rolls, we're doing things, but we'll also, you know, hunt matchups and find guys that, you know, can't guard that, you know, we're going to attack and force people to help and rotate, or we're just going to go score on that guy. So uh, we're going to play a, a lot of different, I guess, styles offensively and, and try and be creative and, and base that around our best players. And hopefully that makes us a, a really tough team to guard and prepare for. You were in the Big Ten for the last couple of years. You've coached at Butler. So you've coached at a lot of different colleges. But is there any any one particular school in the ACC schedule that you're particularly excited to play against now as the head coach at Notre Dame? I've actually never been. There's a lot of the schools in the ACC I've never been to. <laughs> never, I've never been inside of or, or coached in a lot of these arenas. Like we played Clemson this past year in the ACC Big Ten Challenge. Uh, but throughout my time, even at Purdue, we didn't like we were probably home twice and on the road once um, during those times there. So um, I've been to, you know, I've been to uh, North Carolina, you know, never mm -hmm. coached a game, but I've been inside. I've never been to Duke, um, you know, never walked inside the place. So, wow, that would be cool. Like to Put go in there the and, and bring our team in there. But really all of them. Um, you know, it, it's, it's just going to be fun. It's just going to be fun to, to challenge yourself and uh, go against good coaches and, and take our team in there. I'm, I'm probably pretty sure that every school feels like, you know, like they hate us. <laughs> and, <laughs> you know, like, man, we hate Notre Dame. Like, we can't wait to beat them. So I love that part of it. Uh, like, I <laughs> if love you know that already, teams. you'll you'll fit yeah. in great. I love being the hated. I love being the underdog. So um, I'm going to wear this ND around with pride as we're walking into some of these arenas. 
Well, if you love that part of it, be prepared for a lot of love because there's a lot of hate to Notre Dame that uh, people are going to get after you for. Coach, we really look forward to the start of your tenure at Notre Dame. We look forward to the Reese's Pieces in your office and maybe a burger and a beer somewhere as well. Yes. But uh, congrats on the, the job there, kind of coming home a bit uh, to South Bend, and uh, we do appreciate your time. Thank you. Thank you guys so much. Wow, Mike, two guests in one episode. That was a lot of fun. Thank you to Rebecca Lobo and Coach Micah Shrewsbury for coming on this episode of Golik and Smitty. And we'll be back next week. Hopefully we can talk about Outer Banks because I'm almost done with season three. Oh, you are. I can't wait. Okay, I leave you with this, Jess. Whatever this means. <laughs> He's doing the hand thing for people listening. <laughs> Every fan knows the right player in the right position can be a game changer. Put LifeLock between your identity and identity thieves to monitor and alert you to threats you could miss. Plus, with a U.S.-based restoration specialist on your team, you won't have to face drained accounts, fraudulent loans, or other losses from identity theft alone. All backed by the LifeLock Million Dollar Protection Package. Change the game on identity theft. Save up to 25% your first year at LifeLock.com aware.